reflecting on uh, our topic today, and I, th I was thinking back to actually the first time I visited Redeemer Life after moving to Chicago from Los Angeles. That was nearly six years ago when we were still meeting at Hawthorne Middle School across the street, if some of you remember. And uh, I remember being greeted by a very warm and friendly face and walking up that hallway. And the first thing that happened as I entered into our sanctuary was like, I think, five to 10 screaming kids ran right by me. And as someone who has come from a very like structured church, that's just something that I am not used to seeing. Like We keep the kids off in their own building. like They're not there to bother us. And so something I've really appreciated about Redeemer Life over the years is we're OK with the mess. We're OK with the noise, uh, because we know that we're all different, but we're here united in purpose. And we need to bring that same spirit of unity here to our discussion of baptism today. Uh, we find ourselves in a unique position as a church that is part of the Evangelical Covenant denomination. Um, most denominations make their own decision on what kind of practice of baptism they want to uphold. But the ECC is unique in that it affirms both infant baptism and believer's baptism. And so the unique challenge that's before us today, then, is to be okay with the mess, but not to ignore it, okay? Because I think the challenge that, and the potential danger of affirming both of these views is that we might just choose to ignore it. We might think, okay, the differences aren't that important, and so I don't have to do the work of understanding what these views are about, uh, how they came to be, and why people feel so strongly about them. Our imperative today as Redeemer Life and as a church that I think has the culture that is prepared to deal with this is to look down the face of these disagreements and to see that we have a lot more in common than we have indifference. So there are a few things I'd like for us to really uh, try hard to do today. Uh, for one, uh, we really need to understand our own tradition and hold it with conviction, okay? So we have some people who hold to infant baptism, some who hold to believer's baptism. Maybe you don't know which tradition you hold to. Hopefully today, you'll gain some clarity on that, and you will at least be able to start to see the nuances of these views and why both sides think it's really important to actually uh, have a point of view on this issue, okay? This is where a lot of denominations just kind of stop. They know their tradition, they generally hold it with great conviction, and they're happy to wall themselves off for various reasons and not have to deal with the other side. So here's where us, being Redeemer Life, we have a unique opportunity here to see the other side, to understand it better than most would, to not characterize it with just false generalizations, but to understand it, appreciate it, and to coexist with it. So beyond just holding, knowing our own tradition and holding it, with, holding it with conviction, we need to also have the grace to coexist with a competing tradition, with one that has a different emphasis, one that has a different approach. 
So this morning, I just would like to encourage all of us to remember that this is a dialogue that will begin today, but it needs to continue. It needs to be something that each of us personally really takes to heart and puts effort into. And it's an effort that we need to do together as a community uh, to really make the most of the affirmations that our denomination holds and the values that we hold as a church. Unity is not a superficial thing that we just go, okay, we, we all kind of find a way to get along by ignoring our differences. Uh, when we have different emphases, real unity comes about when we dive deep into those and all the while learn to love each other better in the midst of them. So, okay, yeah, there we go, okay, thanks. Right, um, so I just want to echo what Brian said. Uh, I'm not going to argue with him. This is not a debate. Um, that's why we're sitting down. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, you know, what, what Brian said about unity especially, that it's, um, um, it's, not, something, it's not something cheap. It's not something that we, um, uh, we arrive at. Um, in an, in a, an offhanded kind of way. Um, and particularly in our church, being uh, in the Evangelical Covenant Church, and I want to stress that evangelical, the evangel, the gospel, um, that's where our unity is actually rooted. Um, there's, there's lots of, today in the world, in our country, there's, there's lots of good reasons why people strive for unity. Um, and there are good reasons, um, but our from the Bible. So I want to just look initially before we even get into the, the distinctives of these positions and what they mean and why they are important, um, I want to stress what we do have in common, the biblical foundation uh, that we have, that we share. Um, and so from the Bible, uh, the foundation for baptism uh, is the, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That's the foundation. And that's whether you're an infant Baptist or a believer's Baptist, right? Life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Um, and what baptism symbolizes uh, is our participation in that life and that death and that resurrection. So let me walk us through that um, using uh, a diagram. Uh, we'll start with uh, this image of, of Christ and, uh, and what his, yeah, there we go. And what, what Jesus accomplished. So this looks pretty familiar, right? His life, his atoning death, and his resurrection. But I want to focus uh, on his life first because often I think we tend to skip straight to the death, right? We're saved by the death of Jesus. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. And sometimes we forget that he lived a perfect life on our behalf. Um, we often talk about the sacrifice that he made um, at the point of his death on the cross, the sacrifice that he made. And I want to suggest that we think of um, that sacrifice as being completed on the cross, but it was really his entire life, his perfect life lived on our behalf, lived among us uh, on our behalf. That's what, that's what scripture teaches, that Jesus came to fulfill the, re the righteous requirements of God's law. Um, because Jesus lived out that perfect life, um, we might be found righteous in him. So the, so the life of Jesus, and then, um, the death that he suffered 
on our behalf um, was when he surrendered that life up to God. That's the sacrifice we made. Uh, and then God raised him up, so the resurrection. Now, the participation that we have uh, in Jesus, that the baptism represents, uh, if we can have that next diagram, uh, Bobby, um, that's us, that's the Christian. So there's Christ and his perfect life, his atoning death, and his resurrection. And there's the Christian. We exchange our old life for the perfect life of Jesus. We, um, we enter into his death, which was on our behalf. And then with him, we rise again into new life. This is the, this is the gospel, right? We see Jesus uh, living perfectly, dying, and then being resurrected, and we can think of that as good news for Jesus, right? He gets, he's resurrected. Where's the good news for us? Um, it's that we can share in that resurrection life, that we can exchange our old life, our sinful life, uh, for his perfect life, um, that our death can uh, be plunged into his death, and that we can rise again with him. Um, the baptism, um, actually in a very uh, graphic way, um, uh, displays this connection as we as we enter into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, the way baptism was originally practiced, I don't think either of our traditions does it quite exactly the way that it was originally practiced in the New Testament. Um, it was immersion, um, and the, there's, some, there's some controversy about whether that should be the way uh, we continue to baptize. Um, and of course, speaking as someone from the infant Baptist camp, it'd be hard to baptize an infant uh, through immersion, um, but it has been done, and it actually I think it continues to be done in certain parts of the world, um, but it, it's done in a humane way. Um, but uh, but I want to point out that even believers' baptism doesn't um, function in exactly the same uh, way that the original uh, immersion was, because it was it was also it was it was in the nude, it was naked, uh, and so what I want to suggest is that what we have, what we preserved in church practice is the, this overall meaning. But the original um, baptism itself, the mode of it was very graphic, where one would take off one's clothes, showing that they are um, removing that old life, and then enter into the water, identifying with Jesus, participating with him. And then that, that experience of, that, that um, appearance of drowning into the water, of course, represents the death, and then you come up again uh, to new life. Um, so that's, when we think of the, the baptism, uh, whether it's infant baptism or believer's baptism, we think of the water, that's what's represented. Uh, it's not, um, this is not a rite that saves, we talked about this last week. Uh, it's not a rite that saves, uh, whether you're an infant Baptist or a believer's Baptist, um, our foundation, the foundation of our faith, uh, what we call good news is this, that we can participate in Jesus, and that's what baptism uh, is about. So today we'll be representing kind of two ends of the spectrum, uh, different emphases that have existed uh, in a good portion of church history regarding the practice of baptism. Um, me coming from, uh, I grew up in a Southern Baptist uh, church, and then Martin, of course, uh, having come up in the Anglican tradition. And so for, for any of us here, I think a lot of us kind of identify a little more with one or the other. So what we'd like to do at this time is just to kind of outline for all of you uh, what each tradition is doing and how their, uh, their different rites make sense, okay? And so from a believer's baptism point of view, uh, we have two major um, events that take place. Uh, that is the infant dedication 
we generally call it a dedication, and then the believer's baptism, okay? And so um, in this church, we have witnessed some infant baptisms, and we've also witnessed infant dedications. And so when you have a newborn, you usually bring that child up before the church, and from the believer's baptism tradition, uh, the parents are presenting the child to the church, and they're also making their own commitment as parents to raise up their child in the ways of the Lord with the hope that one day their child will come to faith in Jesus Christ and be a disciple. This is um, a time where you make that commitment before your church and you ask the church to support you in that role because you know that you function together as one body to raise up your children together to know and love Jesus Christ. And so as parents then, or even as the children here, as our youth are here, we're working toward baptism and hoping that it takes place after a time where we know that the person has come to be a believer in Jesus and to follow him. And after we have confirmed in some way that there is a legitimate faith on their part, after we have seen proof of a personal conversion experience, that is when we move toward uh, the ritual of baptism, where we can affirm that in front of the church as well. And so from a believer's baptism point of view, there are some significances here to uh, the practice of baptism. Uh, for one, it is a symbol of what has already taken place. Okay, so by the time someone is baptized as a believer, uh, they already are a follower of Jesus Christ. And so the practice of baptism then is looking back on what has happened, something that has occurred in your life, an experience that has actually changed you and really turned your life upside down, just as we saw uh, on the previous slides, right? We are baptized into the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. It is a new life for us. So baptism is a powerful symbol of that, uh, especially by immersion, which I think is just a very powerful medium to see, and we've witnessed that here as a church that you are immersed in the water, symbolizing your death, and you are pulled out of the water, symbolizing the new life, the new pure life that you have in Christ by virtue of his atoning death. Uh, but baptism is more than that. It's not merely a symbol, even by a believer's baptism tradition. It is also an important testimony that the person gives to the church. It is a testimony of the conversion that has taken place. It is a confession that I, before my brothers and sisters here in this church, have chosen to follow Jesus Christ. I place myself in front of you. I am accountable to you. And in many traditions, it is also the gateway to becoming a member of the church. And so it is uh, also a ritual that brings you into the church as, in some sense, a full-fledged member. Okay. And so that is kind of a brief overview of the believer's baptism process. And Martin, from his uh, experience, can give us an overview of the infant baptism process. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Um, yeah, what makes this, this whole topic confusing is that there are two uh, sets of events. There's two events, uh, whether you're uh, in the believer's baptist tradition or the infant baptist tradition. So I'll just kind of uh, match them up and show you uh, what's going on there. So when, and when someone from the believer's baptist uh, tradition uh, when they bring their child to God, they, they dedicate them, as Brian said. Uh, and then the baptism will happen later, usually 
later in life uh, as a youth or as an adult. Um, you have the same two events happening uh, in the Inter Baptist tradition, but they're called differently. So you have uh, what would be called dedication by believers' baptism is called baptism uh, and by infant Baptist. And then later on, kind of everything that Brian described of what we're hoping uh, these infants who are being dedicated or baptized, what they will uh, hopefully experience, what we pray that they will experience, that conversion regeneration. Um, that's what uh, we experience in the infant Baptist tradition as confirmation. Um, just to kind of give us a, a vivid uh, example uh, to think about, um, a couple of years ago, if you were here, uh, my son Julian was baptized. Um, he was a year old, maybe even less than that. Um, and uh, at the same time, in the same service, Pastor Yanbi's son Josiah was, uh, was dedicated. Um, and I want us to think a little bit about these two, these two boys uh, that are going to be growing up uh, in the faith. Uh, they're going to be growing up, growing up, going to Sunday school uh, together. <laughs> um, and um, they're going to be uh, cared for spiritually by, uh, by their families and by uh, their, their teachers. And, um, and they're going to be hearing the gospel. And they're going to be, and this is what we pray for all of them, um, whether they're infant baptized or, or dedicated as infants, we pray that the Holy Spirit will be working on them and that they will respond to the Spirit in the course of their life. So um, what would the difference be uh, for Josiah, um, Pastor Yanbi's son, as Brian said one day, uh, our prayer is that he will, um, he will, he will partake in that baptism uh, as a symbol of, of, of regeneration and conversion that he's experienced. Um, we pray the same, the same thing, uh, in essence, uh, for my son, that he will confirm the faith that he has been raised in. Um, but if it's a symbol um, for Josiah of something that's happened uh, in his life, uh, perhaps inwardly, um, over a period of time, and it's hard to pinpoint when, you know, when did you respond to the gospel uh, and in what way and to what degree, right? These things happen over the period of a life. Uh, and so, so that's why for Josiah, it'll be a symbol. It's, it, it'll, it'll cover, it'll encompass that entire complexity of experience for him. Uh, so then taking a step back to my own son's baptism, um, that can also be seen as a symbol um, of the hope that we have that one day we will see his faith confirmed. Um, but in our tradition, it is actually seen as more than a symbol. Um, and I, as, as Brian was saying, it is also in the believer's baptism uh, tradition is more than a symbol. Uh, and I like, I like what um, Brian added to that, the, that it's a witness. Um, and I think that's something that we all have to be careful of, whether we're talking in this particular conversation from the point of view of infant baptism or uh, believer's baptism, um, this could easily turn into kind of a family affair, right? We're talking about children that are growing up in the faith. Um, but, we, but the gospel is much more than that. It's much more than just for our families. And, we, and, I, and I think that we need to remember, uh, those of us in the infant baptist tradition, that it is a witness. It, 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 is, it is a call for other people to enter into this as well. But not only that, also because of the, um, the, the radical way in which we are asking God to work on our children's lives, in that particular setting, in that moment. Um, because of that, we do uh, elevate it to the status of a sacrament. Uh, for us, it's uh, um, that, that initial experience of bringing our children to God and saying, Lord, we pray that over the next few years you will do this for them. Um, we see that as more than just a dedication, more than just a request, 
we see it as the moment in which um, the entire Godhead uh, comes to play upon the life of our, uh, of our child. And so we, see, we invoke the Father, Son, and Spirit. We pray for the Holy Spirit to begin uh, a new activity uh, in this individual's life. Uh, and for that reason, we, we call it the sacrament uh, of baptism. So then you've already started to pick up, I'm sure, that there are some differences in emphasis here, that even though we're coming from the same foundation of the significance of baptism, there are different ways that we're putting that into play in our Christian practice. And so let me share with you about some of my personal experience. I was born into, as I mentioned, a Southern Baptist church. And so I come from that tradition. I, I identify with it um, very strongly. Uh, and so I was dedicated as an infant, and uh, I was raised up in the church. And from my point of view, there, there's no time in my memory that I can't recall knowing who Jesus was and loving Jesus Christ. Um, and so that's, that's all on my parents and my church for raising me in that way. Like I remember in second grade, um, kneeling down with my friend in the, in the school playground and leading him in the sinner's prayer. Like, that's, that's not the kind of thing that, that I would, like, know how to do, right? That's, that, that did not come from me. That came from uh, being raised up in a church that knew how to preach the gospel and taught me how to do it from uh, an early, early age. And so from that Baptist tradition, we emphasize a lot on your personal responsibility. We emphasize a lot on evangelism and on free will, how important it is for someone to come to the point where they will make a personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that happens in Baptist churches a lot is the altar call, if some of you are familiar with that. Uh, that's the tradition I grew up in. It's after a lot of sermons, you'll actually have the pastor ask, you know, does anyone want to come forward to the front and commit their life to Jesus Christ? Does anyone want to come forward to receive prayer? Uh, they're, they're trying to call you up to make some kind of decision, some kind of profession, and to express that before the church. Well, that happened to me. When I was in junior high, I actually responded to a sermon and asked to be baptized. And so I was baptized at Mandarin Baptist Church of Los Angeles on January 21st, 1996, when I was, I would have been uh, 13 years old at the time. That's an experience that still is so strongly ingrained in my mind. Uh, going through that process, walking up the aisle to talk to my pastor, going through our baptism classes, and then finally going up before our congregation. And this was a Chinese church, right? So I was part of an English group, but the baptism took place in front of the entire church, all the language groups together. So in front of about probably nearly a thousand people. Um, being baptized, and I still remember so clearly being lowered under the water, kept my eyes open actually, lowered under the water, <laughs> making sure I plugged my nose so it didn't run up, and then being pulled back out. That's an experience that has stuck with me to this day. And it's still one that I look back on as one of the milestones of my Christian life when I testified to my personal faith in front of my entire church. It's a powerful time. And it's one that was powerful because I actually understood what it meant. I understood the significance of it. I understood what Baptists 
want your baptism to be. And so for this tradition, for the believer's baptism tradition, there, there is a certain point of view that we're taking from it. Uh, there's an importance to, first of all, preaching the gospel and inviting a response to that, right? So whether it's in church or whether it's with your friends, whether it's on the playground or in the classroom, whether it's at work or at home, you are someone who is a witness to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you are hoping that the people around you will come to see that, to understand it, and to make their own personal decision to follow after Christ. And then when you do that, from the believer's baptism point of view, it's important to affirm that. It's, it's not something you keep to yourself, but it's something that you testify to in front of the church, and the church also equips you and sends you out to testify about that to the world. And so there is that emphasis, there is that uh, point of view that we're coming from. And then there's a bit of a, a corresponding one that infant Baptists are coming from as well. So Martin, could you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, um, so the, the corresponding event, of course, as we said, is confirmation. Um, and um, I can remember, I can, uh, normally an infant Baptist would tell you they, they can't vividly recall their baptism experience because they were infants at the time. I actually can because, um, my, not because I'm so smart, but because my parents actually forgot to baptize me. <laughs> and I was baptized very close to the time that I was confirmed. Um, <laughs> sort, of, uh, sort of an afterthought. Um, but that was, um, I, I'm not saying that to fault my parents at all. They were, they were um, we were actually in a transition. We were just moving back to India after, I'd, after I was born. Uh, they were, um, busy doing the Lord's work, and they forgot to baptize me. <laughs> um, but, that, but that confirmation experience is one where I think we can relate uh, uh, on that level. Um, and, and I, and I want to encourage um, those of uh, our youth group that are here who have been baptized as infants, when you start to experience that renewal, um, and even before that, the, the, the conviction of sin, uh, and this, uh, this sense of um, conversion from your old way of living, the, the way of living that we inherited uh, from Adam and Eve, right? Uh, and when you ex experience that, um, that exchange of that old life for Jesus' life uh, and, and that, the way that renews you, um, I encourage you, those that were baptized as infants, to then to talk to people about that, talk to your parents, talk to uh, Sunday school and youth, um, youth group teachers and directors, uh, and think about um, uh, going, undergoing the rite of confirmation at that point. Um, but I want to emphasize a little bit about um, my family. Um, even though they forgot to baptize me, I, I, I owe a great deal to being raised in a, in a godly family. And I think this is something that in the uh, infant Baptist tradition, this is what we stress, the covenant blessing. Um, I think that there's, a, there's an equivalent emphasis on personal uh, conviction and personal conversion in the believer's Baptist tradition, and we don't want to negate either of those. You know? And again, we're talking about emphases here. But the emphasis in the, in the, in the um, infant Baptist tradition is on the covenant blessings that we have. And, and so even something as deeply personal as conversion, and this is where I think a lot of people um, might wonder what is happening in an infant baptism. Is this infant you know, aware of, of, a, of, a, of a kind of conversion? Um, but I want to suggest that conversion 
um, there, there is a very important personal aspect of it, but there's also a corporate aspect of it. Um, my, in my family, my, uh, my father was raised a Hindu, and he became a Christian um, early in life. And, uh, and, then, and, and then when he married and he, he went to ministry, um, it was in that context that I was raised. And I often think about that. If, I, if my dad um, had not uh, accepted Christ before I was born, I would have been raised in a very different uh, environment. Uh, but I think because of, because of uh, his experience, um, I can share in the blessing of that, that I grew up um, hearing the gospel preached every day at home. Um, I, I didn't put my trust in, um, in idols, um, but, I, but I was able to trust, um, trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Um, so there's, there's a generational impact, and this is not to negate the, the importance of personal conversion. Um, those of us in the ancient Baptist tradition, we, um, we often state that conversion is a lifelong experience. And so just because one is infant baptized uh, doesn't mean uh, that, that, that that's it. They're, they're done with sin and they're going to be saints. Um, and there's going to be constant, uh, constantly being called back to conversion and constant renewal as well. So as the, the believer is Baptist here, I can uh, really give the invitation to us then to, uh, to think about this, uh, to think about what your own tradition might be. If you've been raised in the church, you know, you probably have a sense of where that is. Um, but if you've recently come back to the church or if you've recently just started coming to church, this is probably something that has not been on your radar. And we live in a time where people really scoff at tradition a lot. And uh, if I may venture a guess, I would say one of the major reasons is that people practice it without understanding what the significance of those traditions are. And even as we were planning uh, this, uh, this talk, we were discussing how traditions are not most powerful because of the act itself. Right? It's because it's a passing down of the faith from one generation to the next. And that through these practices, we are, um, we are imaging what that faith is like. And we're reminding ourselves of the common core that we have in that faith. And so personal decision is really key here. Taking that personal responsibility for each of us to embrace our tradition, whichever that may be, and to actually understand the richness that comes out of it. As I shared about my experience, I hope that all of you can have the same, that you would come from a place of understanding it rather than just emptily practicing it, and by understanding it as deeply as you possibly can to appreciate the richness that comes out of each of our traditions, whether it's the believer's baptism of really emphasizing that personal event of conversion, or from the infant baptism view of really emphasizing that covenant blessing that takes place when you are part of God's people, of God's family, in a local church. We need to guard against laziness. Um, it would be lazy for us to think that we're unified just because we kind of ignore our differences but we have a unity that is actually meaningful when we see those differences, we understand them, 
and we still work together in the spirit that Christ wanted us to have. And so that is actually what brings us into the next phase, uh, especially from the believer's baptism point of view. Uh, baptism is looking back at a personal conversion that has happened. And for any Christian, that is never the end. That is only the beginning of all that God has in store for you. And that's actually something that we're going to talk about more in the coming weeks and something that Martin is going to tell us a little more about right now. Yeah. So next week, we're going to talk really about the, the implications of, of, of the Great Commission, of which baptism is a part. But one thing that I want to stress on before we close today is, um, as, as Brian said, the conversion experience, um, that experience of participating in Jesus' death in the hope of resurrection with him, um, as Brian said, that's not the end. Um, that's the beginning of your Christian walk. And, the, and something that we often don't talk about, um, well, many traditions don't, but I know there are traditions that do. Pentecostal tradition emphasizes the spirit, but that's the life that you enter into, the life of the spirit. Uh, and I, would just, I want to read this from Romans 8, verse 10. Um, if Christ is in you, so this is if you've been baptized, uh, if Christ is in you and you are in Christ, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. Uh, and then the next verse, he confirms that um, the, spirit, the spirit of God, which sanctifies us, gives us that righteousness in our life, uh, will also raise us up um, at the resurrection. Right? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. So yes, that resurrection hope uh, that is gonna happen at the end of history, uh, after we've lived and died uh, and centuries may have passed, um, there is that hope, but, the, but I think we'll be denying the power of the gospel if we forget that that new life is in us already, the life of the spirit. Um, and not only, um, and so that, that, so that inner generation, uh, regeneration is something that both traditions uh, emphasize. Again, believer's baptism uh, has a very, you know, very graphic uh, um, um, uh, practice, the sacrament to appeal to. Uh, and in infant baptism, I think we need to be, we need to maybe exercise our imagination a little bit more, but remember uh, what, what, that inf what the water at infant baptism represented. It was, it was that new life as, you, as, um, as uh, one would, would come out of the water in the, in the immersion um, tradition. Um, and um, and, I, and there's, a, there's a really beautiful ceremony that, uh, that, the, that the Evangelical Covenant Church does. I remember when some of our youth were, uh, were confirmed uh, that they that they had a, a bowl of water and they would and they would place their hands in it and it was called the waters of remembrance and remembering that baptism experience and what and and what it looked forward to which was this new life that we have and it's not just new life for us personally but for the whole cosmos God is regenerating um, everything uh, bringing everything um, uh, back to uh, to life and back to himself and we'll say more about that um, next week uh, but I think we're running out of time here, so. <laughs> yeah, there's so much more we could say. Um, but I hope this time has given you at least an appreciation for uh, your own tradition that you might have come from, maybe more clarity in terms of which tradition you might hold to, and also an appreciation for the other side. And then even past that, an appreciation for how having both traditions together can actually make our church a richer and more vibrant place that understands what it is to be a disciple of Christ.
And so all of this does bring us back to the Great Commission, which I would like to read for us. This is from Matthew chapter 28, and I'll start with verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Whether you're from an infant baptism tradition or a believer's baptism tradition, uh, this sacrament is only the beginning. It is your induction into a new life in Christ, a life that is moving toward that new creation, the ultimate renewal of all things, the solving of all of the problems we see in this world. And it begins with you. It begins with you making that commitment. And the Great Commission is our marching orders. This is what God has called us to do. These are uh, the words that Jesus left us as he was preparing to ascend. This is what he wants us to do. Go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. It begins with us, Redeemer Life, right here, right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for all that he means to us. And we thank you that even in the midst of our differences, we can find a unity that is even deeper, even more foundational, a unity that gets us past any of those superficial differences we have to the bond that we share as brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us, Lord, not to look past this important sacrament that you commanded us to do. And help us to know that you didn't command us just to practice it emptily, but to really appreciate all that it means to us, all that it signifies and the setting that it brings us into as your covenant people. And from that point, Lord, help us to be a people of the Great Commission who go out into all the world, who proclaim your name near and far, who demonstrate your love to others, baptize them and teach them as well. Thank you for making us one family in Christ. Thank you for your boundless grace that constantly just astounds and amazes us. Help us, Lord, to be like Jesus and to be his ambassador, his representative in all the world, wherever you would have us be. In Jesus' name we pray.